Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 150 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And Tony, if it feels like it's been forever since we last recorded an episode, well, it has. Our last two episodes were recorded a little over three weeks ago, well before we knew the fate of the season for many conferences, including the one we're going to be discussing on today's show, the Pac-12. And boy, do we know a lot more than we did then. Most, if not all, of our listeners certainly already know that the Pac-12 season has been postponed until the spring. I believe I read today that January 1st was the earliest they could possibly start the season. Now, Tony, I knew you never thought it would come to this. What does the season postponement mean for 2021 draft prospects? Well, let me correct you. I mean, I had an idea in the back of my mind that it could come to this for the Pac-12 because if anybody listens to our prior podcast, you know, I consistently said that it was a, I thought it was going to be a regional situation and the West coast, the mountain West, the PAC 12 was, were the ones that I was most worried about. And sure enough, those two conferences, as well as the big 10, which was a bit of a surprise are not going to be playing in the fall this year. What does the postponement mean? It means a lot of indecision, a lot of questions, I think what it means for us anyway, and for me is, you know, usually the months of November, December, January, even sometimes in October, I'm well known as someone who gets out in front of the news as far as underclassmen who will be entering the draft. Well, guess what? That's all of a sudden starting in August, as we've seen with guys like Rondell Moore and and Twyman of Pittsburgh and, and Rashad Bateman. So that's something that's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about a couple of prospects in that vein uh, during uh, this podcast. But I think it just, it's just going to be, be a lot of indecision. I mean, and a lot of indecision and a lot of, you know, question marks that not only won't, you know, will be answered in the 2021 draft, but I think it's going to take a couple of years to kind of hash itself out at the next level before, you know, as far as players who live up to expectations or you know, failed to meet expectations before what we see the true results of not playing in the fall of 2020. Yeah, I think the latter thing you said there is the most kind of accurate there in terms of players not living up to expectations, because even with the draft that just happened in April, um, you know, no TAs, no rookie minicamps for a lot of these guys. And, you know, we've seen injuries, we've seen, you know, oh, this guy isn't quite caught up in camp, or, you know, this guy's not standing out. I mean, a lot of these rookies coming into the league now who had a full season last year are struggling without a fully wrapped up off season. So you take away a full season from a lot of these guys, especially the top prospects who are usually expected to hit the ground running. And you may end up with a lot more speed bumps in 2021. And even as you said, beyond that into 2022. And the other thing is, I mean, think about what happened, especially in the late part of round one this year, how many, uh, how many players went in round one that we were caught by surprise. Jeff Gladney, Noah Igmanonheen, was getting some late first-round mention, but no one really thought, you know, he's going to be a first-round pick. Uh, the kid from uh, uh, Ohio State, Damon Arnett. You, I think you're going to see a lot more of those 
late first round or bottom half of round one surprises in the 2021 draft as compared to 2020, which a lot of people were blown away by. Now, quick programming note on our end. If you are an Apple podcast subscriber, you may have noticed that episodes 144 through 147 were not downloaded on your device. Uh, we went back and forth with Apple a bunch of times. Shout to the people that believe, uh, you know, who really helped out in that department. Um, the episodes are back up. I reposted them um, kind of throughout the last few days. So if you have Apple Podcasts, you can go ahead and unsubscribe and resubscribe if you want. If you saw uh, my tweet and Tony's tweet from a couple weeks ago. If not, as long as you refresh your podcast feed, those episodes should be there. Everything's going to be in episode number order as usual. And it should be business as always, moving forward. With that said, we are going to get to the Pac-12 prospects that we have yet to discuss in just a moment after this word from our sponsor. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing. Maybe not the NBA so much at the time of this recording Wednesday night, but either way, our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Take full advantage of sports being back and get into the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes, which really is a dangerous proposition for someone like me. Yeah, not me, Chris. I'll learn from your experiences. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, we covered the first five Pac-12 teams on our show last we were with you. The final seven are coming up here. These teams accounted for 20 of the conference's 32 picks in the 2020 draft. And we're going to start in the same state we ended with Oregon State. The Beavers had three draft picks in April. All went in round six and all came from the offensive side of the football. What this year's team lacks in overall draft prospects, it makes up for with quality in the one that they actually have and that is senior pass rusher Hamaka Rashid Jr. Almost entered the 2020 draft after a 22-and-a-half tackle for loss, 14-sack season. Instead, he's back for another campaign, again, if he actually plays in the campaign when it restarts again. And if he does, he'll be able to show off his length and athleticism, also has the ability to move in reverse, which is something he's going to need to do at his size in the NFL because he will be standing over tackle, probably not going to line up, in a three-point stance. Tony, you've got him as a third-rounder. And as we know, as we talked about a lot this past year with players like Alex Highsmith, even a sleeper, even a small school guy, if you can rush the passer at the NFL level, you tend to go in the top 100 at the very least. Do you think he can climb any higher than his current draft grade? I think he can. I think it's going to be a bit more difficult without a season under his belt. If the 2020 season had gone off and he was able to replicate or even improve upon what he showed last year in 2019, then had good workouts, I think he definitely would have hopped into the maybe the top half of round three, the, the, uh, the, the, the second round. Now, I've got him as a third rounder. A lot of, most scouts have him as a fourth rounder. Uh, he was getting third, fourth round grades last year. Uh, when, when he was doing some research, when he was doing research, granted the advisory committee only goes to the second round, but people were saying third, fourth round. As we had talked about, if there was a supplemental draft, people were uh, pointing to Hamilcar as someone who likely should have entered the supplemental draft. But as we know, the supplemental draft was 
outright canceled. So he never had that opportunity. He's a lot more than just a guy who pins his ears back and rushes up the field. You mentioned about how he play, he's got to learn to play in space. He does a solid job of that. I mean, Oregon State uses him in space. He's not a liability. He doesn't look lost. He's got decent instincts. I mean, he's got a long, thin frame, which he's going to have to fill out. He's got some growth potential. He's got decent sides, really long arms. And I think he's one of these players that has got a large upside. So he's just going to get better in time as he physically matures and learns to complete his game. Uh, I think he's going to have to be reliant on really good pre-draft workouts to do basically jump into uh, the top 75, which I think he's capable of because he's not going to have the, uh, the, the season underneath him. One other guy we need to talk about is a returning player who was graded by scouts coming into the 2019 season. I think, I think uh, played about three or four games last year, was able to get a redshirt year and that's receiver Trevor Bradford. Some scouts grade him on the fringe of being a late round pick. I'm a little bit more down on him. Average size, 5'10", 180 pounds, decent speed, runs in the low four fives, but his real worth at the next level is as a return specialist, as a punt returner. Very capable receiver, very reliable receiver, just not a, a flashy guy, but someone, I think, who could make a roster as a fifth receiver, punt returner at the next level. Uh, you know, Bradford will be interesting. I don't think Hamill Carr plays in 2021, but if the season starts early enough, you know, a guy like Bradford, if he plays, I think he could help, he could help his draft stock if the season starts early enough, finishes early enough, and then he's able to get a workout in before the draft. Now, staying in the Pacific Northwest with Stanford, two draft picks this year, actually tied for their fewest the past decade with 2017. But at least in that year, the picks were two first-rounders in Christian McCaffrey and Solomon Thomas. Last year, it was two day-three picks, and 2021, probably going to fall somewhere in between Junior offensive tackle Walker Little hurt his knee in game one last season, was graded as a first-rounder, which is where he should end up, assuming he returns to full health. He has the height and the movement skills to stick on the left side at the NFL level. He's smart as well, knows how to get in the right position to keep defenders away from his quarterback and running backs in the run game. Like Oregon State earlier, Stanford is really a program that kind of lacks prospect depth. But the ones they do have are early picks. Obviously, we talked about Little. And then there's also junior cornerback Paulson Adebo grades out as a third rounder on Tony's board, which is a bit lower than you'll find him elsewhere. He's got good length and physicality, eight interceptions, 29 pass breakups the past two seasons. Doesn't combine great speed with that size, though. Many thought he'd enter the 2020 draft after his redshirt sophomore campaign, but he's back for this season, at least for now. Tony, tell us why Adebo really isn't the apple of your eye. He doesn't like you mentioned the speed. I think he needs a lot of work on his cover skills. He's one of these college cornerbacks that really struggle making plays with their back to the ball. He's not quick in his hips off the line in transition, it shows some stiffness there. So he's oftentimes playing catch up. It's more of a situation where he's in zone or he's, where he's facing the action that he really shows a lot of good cover skills. As I tell everybody, listen, go back to that early season game when Stanford just got slaughtered by Central Florida. And Paulson Adebo was beaten like a drum by Gabriel Davis, who a guy we spoke about at length and who I feel was ridiculously underdrafted in the fourth round by the Buffalo Bills. But but Davis just made Adebo look foolish. Now, Adebo did play better as the season went on. He does have excellent length. He is a physical corner. He's a physical defensive back. I'm concerned about his speed. 
I'm concerned about his inability to make plays with his back to the ball. I mean, listen, where did Jalen Johnson go last year from Utah? He went in the second day. And I would grade Jalen Johnson higher than Paulson at Debo. I think he's more refined. And he still went uh, much later than people expected. So that's why I'm down on Paulson at Debo. Can't say the same about Walker Little. Walker Little is a guy who I really like. There's a diversity of uh, or, or a diverse opinion on him in the, in the uh, scouting community. But I like his fundamentals, his ability to block with leverage, his footwork off the edge, his ability to get out on the second level and block in motion. I like his lateral blocking range. I'm a traditionalist in, in that I like pure left tackle pass protectors, and that's exactly what Walker Little is. Not the strongest guy in the world. Uh, there are some scouts who think that he's more of an early second, late round, uh, late first round choice. But again, I, I mean, if you look at last year's tackle class, people talked about Mickey Becton being a top 10 pick. People talked about Jedrick Wills being the first tackle selected. And who was the first tackle selected? Andrew Thomas, the most pure left tackle in last year's class. That's what Walker Little reminds me of. Now, as you mentioned, he got hurt early on in that game uh, against Northwestern, and he hasn't played. The information I'm receiving is that Walker Little and Paulson Adebo are about 99% unlikely to play whenever the 2020 football season kicks off. Both will enter the draft. So if you look at Walker Little, if he bypasses the season, uh, the upcoming season, as I'm told he will, and enters the draft, it'll be almost a two-year break for him playing because he played, what, one or two games last year, uh, didn't play literally from the months of September uh, till the season ended, and is not going to have another year under his belt. So that's always a concern. What I'm hearing is both of those guys are very likely to bypass the season. Both will enter the draft. Moving a bit south to UCLA, three draft picks in 2020, including third-rounder Devin Asiasi and two fourth-rounders. Only one draftable senior for 2021, but several underclassmen who make the board. That senior is defensive tackle Osa Odigizua, an explosive three-technique type, although he plays a five-technique position for the Bruins. Not sure he's big enough to play that spot in the NFL, but he made 46 tackles, 10 for loss with three and a half sacks in 2019. The top two UCLA prospects, though, both athletic redshirt sophomores, offensive tackle Sean Ryan and wide receiver Kyle Phillips. Now, Ryan is technically sound in addition to his mobility. Needs to add a bit of strength, but again, just a redshirt sophomore, so that should come in time. Phillips led the team in receiving in 2019, 60 catches for 681 yards and five touchdowns. Doesn't have great size, but does have top-end speed, can get downfield and make big plays despite a mediocre yards per catch average. <clears throat> despite a mediocre yards per catch average. That early career production, though, is a promising sign for his future, especially considering a lot of the inconsistency that he's dealt with at the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the side story here is Chip Kelly. Is this Chip Kelly's last year at UCLA? And, and you really look, we're talking about UCLA and their top two players or potential third-round picks, uh, and, and then it really it drops off after that. I mean, Phillips is a very reliable guy. He plays fast. I'm told that he only he's only times in the mid four fours, but he plays faster than that. He's smart. He's tough. He's a game breaker, and he's reliable. Sean Ryan, if I compare him to Walker Little, who we just spoke about from Stanford, Sean Ryan's probably a better athlete, but he's not as polished as Walker Little. He's got to do a little bit better job with his angles. He's a terrific pass protector. He's got a high upside, 
But right now, that's why I have him as a third rounder. You know, with Diggy Zua, you said it. I mean, he's very explosive. Uh, he's undersized like his uh, older brother was. Hopefully, he's a little bit more together mentally than his older brother was, who was in and out of the league in a flash, which was kind of sad because he had so much uh, potential. But he's an explosive guy who I could see being used as a defensive end uh, over the right tackle or potentially as a three-technique tackle. Guy plays with a nonstop motor. He always shows up. He's got a terrific burst of speed. He's quick to close. One guy to keep an eye on that's not being mentioned in scouting circles is Quinton Lake, the safety. He's got real good size, solid ball skills, tough against the run. Someone who missed last year uh, with injury, but he's a real solid football player with next level size. No stick in Southern California and look at the USC Trojans. Two picks back in April, first rounder Austin Jackson and second rounder Michael Pittman Jr. And that latter departure of Pittman should create more opportunity for both Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's St. Brown could go even higher than Pittman did in the 2021 draft. Despite being rail thin, he's fast enough to get downfield, quick out of his route breaks to create separation, has solid, reliable hands, and had a very consistent campaign as well. At least five receptions in all but two weeks last season, whereas Vaughn's was a bit more up and down in 2019 as the number three option in the passing game. Now, though, second to St. Brown as a senior Similar build to his junior teammate. Doesn't have the same downfield ability, though, but he isn't slow. He's very consistent, wins out in contested situations with strength and length and the ability to elevate. He's effective after the catch as well. So while the stopwatch may not be kind to him on the track, he can win in many ways on the football field. Yeah, he is a terrific route runner. I mean, he is a guy who separates. When you watch him against Pittman last year, Pittman was obviously the bigger guy who won out for the contested throws. But Tyler Vaughn's was a guy that opponents could not stay with him in and out of breaks because he was so quick. He was so sharp. He's also a consistent receiver, not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy. But I think someone who's got the potential to be a real good number three receiver, as opposed to Amon Rob St. Brown, who is just a game breaker. I mean, he's got excellent length. He's got home run hitting speed. He takes it downfield. He's a threat to score anytime the ball is in his hand hands and he usually makes the receptions when the ball is thrown towards his hands I mean he's got a real good game he's he's a good receiver a good athlete with the speed to break it downfield now Tony obviously that covers the potential first and second day guys maybe Vaughn's is an early day three guy but USC obviously is you know one of the better teams in the country most seasons there's going to be a lot of depth on this depth chart what about some of the third day picks that could potentially impact the draft yeah, Jalen McKenzie, the offensive tackle, who I have graded right now as a fourth-round pick. I could see him hopping into the second day of the draft. We've seen that before from uh, USC, offensive linemen that are top 100 picks. I think McKenzie could be heading that direction, plays tackle. He's got more uh, guard size, but he's a real good, uh, uh, good, real good blocker. Elijah Griffin is an outstanding cover man, just doesn't have the great size. He's more of a smaller guy, thin build, but he's feisty. He got, he has terrific ball skills. I just don't know that he's going to be a number two cornerback. I think he's more of a nickelback. Oh, I got, I have great as a fifth rounder right now, but I think he's got some upside. And Jay Tefili, the defensive tackle who has already said that he is going to enter the draft. He goes about six foot one, 300 pounds. He's more of your three technique type of tackle, explosive off the snap, plays with great leverage, fights throughout the action, very feisty, very intense, 
I have my concerns about his size, about how he's going to hold up at the next level. I think he's someone that needs to be placed in a system where he is, where there are good players around him to make up for that lack of size. But in the right system, I think to feel he's going to be a player at the next level. Now heading a bit east to Utah, the biggest team in terms of the 2020 draft on this show, seven selections this past year, the third time in the past four seasons with at least five and having multiple top 100 picks. Unfortunately for the Utes, there's almost no chance that they make it four out of five in either category. However, the top-ranked player on their depth chart, retreat sophomore offensive tackle Simi Moala, like Sean Ryan from UCLA, who we spoke about earlier, he's a good athlete who moves well. The main difference between the two, Moala plays right tackle, Ryan plays left tackle, but both of these guys have second-day potential once they fill out their frames a little bit more. Junior linebacker Devin Lloyd took advantage of Cody Barton and Chase Hansen graduating to lead the team in tackles ahead of Francis Bernard, who we discussed last year on the show ad nauseum. 91 tackles, along with 11 for loss, six and a half sacks, decent size for Lloyd, really good speed and pursuitability, along with some pass rushing chops as well. So he really does bring a lot to the table. Former South Carolina quarterback Jake Bentley moves over to Utah this year, really looked like the next big thing as a freshman, performed very well immediately after hitting the field for the Gamecocks. But the past two seasons, 45 touchdowns compared to a whopping 26 interceptions, along with declining completion rates and just general lackluster on-field performance, has some way down the draft radar. Can he climb back up the board a little bit with a good season? Sure, if he ends up playing the season. He does have good size and arm strength, but there's so much more to the quarterback position that really Bentley hasn't shown much of since 2017. Lost his job at South Carolina. I mean, basically was the backup, which is why he transferred. And, you know, at, at first glance, transferring to Utah seemed to be a real good move for Bentley. And then the Pac-12 cancels its season. So, I mean, Bentley's one of those guys, I think, really, regardless of whether the season's in January, starts in January or, or, or March, I think Bentley's one of those guys that really needs to play if he wants – uh, a career at the next level because if he doesn't play he's not going to get drafted maybe he's a camp invite but if he plays and, and he has a good season you know even if he's not drafted and I have him as a late seventh round pick based on what he's shown in the past but even if he's not drafted he's one of those guys that if he has a good season in the spring of 2021 a team can sign him and then stash him on the practice squad just to keep him around to, to develop him, let him rest his body from the wear and tear from uh, the spring of 2021. They see his upside. They see maybe two th the spring of 2021, he's rebounding to where he was as a freshman, where people thought he, you know, they, they quickly labeled him as a potential franchise quarterback, which I think was too insanely early as it turned out to be true. But still, I, I mean, he Bentley's one of those guys Regardless of what happens, I think he should play in the spring of 2021 if he wants a future at the next level. Devin Lloyd, you mentioned, an undersized running chase linebacker, very explosive, very fierce, makes plays sideline to sideline, sells out up, up the field. Simi Moala is a guy who I think I grade him as a fourth, fifth rounder, but I think he's got second day potential. No doubt about it. He's got excellent length. He's, he's got excellent movement skills. He's a right tackle who shows left tackle pass blocking skills. Very effective out to the next level. Just has to physically mature. And, you know, I, I could see a guy like Mayola, if the season happened during the fall and his game really took, takes off, he enters the 2021 draft. As of right now, I think it, it would be a mistake for him to enter the 2021 draft. Mayola is 
one of those interesting cases that I think you're going to find with sophomores, both true sophomores and redshirt sophomores that have next level potential. Does Mayola play this spring, it, depending on when the Pac-12 starts their season? Or does he sit on the sidelines and just wait for the fall of 2021? Because the danger of a guy like Mayola playing in the spring of 2021 is, let's say he gets injured in the season. Let's say he, he suffers a significant knee injury in March of 2021. He's, just not, he's not only going to miss that spring season, he's very likely to miss the fall season of 2021. So top-rated prospects who are eligible for the 2021 draft and even aren't eligible for the 2021 draft, the, the true sophomores, are going to have a big decision to make. Everyone's focusing on the draft eligible guys and the juniors and everything. A lot of these sophomores have decisions to make because there's going to be risk if they get out there in spring football and get hurt. Uh, there's risk. There's there's usually risk, but the fact is, is they a guy like Moa, if he gets injured, he could end up missing two seasons. Yeah, I mean, just look at kind of the timing on Dylan Moses's injury last year. He got injured in camp. Uh, I believe it was like late spring, early summer, and he missed the entire season. Imagine if, as you said, you know, someone gets hurt in January and they're out for eight to ten months. Well, that takes you through most of the following college football season as well. So that really is a unique situation, something I hadn't thought of until just now. But you bring up a good point. I mean, there they're just kind of adds an extra level of risk with minimal reward for just a lot of these guys who, you know, might be looking more towards the 2022 or 2023 drafts. Uh, you know, and you say it's, it's an eight to mo- 10 month recovery. Let's say a guy like Mayola hypothetically plays, gets injured in March, it's an eight-month injury. I mean, you think he's going to return for the last month of the season of 2021, December, uh, uh, that December? I, I think he'd be crazy. Take a guy like uh, Keaton Slovis, the uh, true sophomore quarterback for USC, who everybody loves his next-level potential. People think he's a potential first-round pick. I mean, there's a guy who really ha- – and factor in, there's a very good chance that Slovis – is not going to have Amon Ra St. Brown to throw the ball to this year because I'm told St. Brown is going to enter the draft and is likely to bypass the season. Tyler Vaughn came very close to entering the draft uh, last year. I haven't heard any updates on him, but I got to imagine if a guy, a guy like Vaughn was very close to entering the 2020 draft, I don't think he plays in the spring of 2021 and just prepares for the uh, 2021 draft. I, I mean, if you're a guy like Caden Slovis, the quarterback from USC – are you going to risk playing in the spring when your two top uh, uh, weapons are not there and, and, and risk injury and risk not only the spring of 2021 season, but the fall season? I mean, that's something that these guys are really going to have to think about and something, an issue that people really aren't talking about. I'll head to the state of Washington once again to wrap up our show here. We'll start with the Huskies at the University of Washington. Two draft selections in 2020, both on the third day. And this program should fare better, though, in 2021. Senior defensive tackle Levi Onwuzurike is a consensus second-day prospect, 79 tackles, 12.5 for loss, five sacks over the past two seasons. A good athlete with solid size, can hold his ground and occupy the gaps, but he's also quick off the line. He can penetrate the backfield well. A player that can really make an impact against both the run and the pass. Fellow senior Elijah Molden led the Huskies with 79 tackles, five and a half of them for loss, four interceptions and 13 pass breakups. Not particularly big, 
not particularly fast, but just good at football. You see the ball skills in his stats. He does a nice job getting to plays against the run. Both of these guys should end up being drafted. And Washington also has several other players who presently grade out as draftable as the program hopes to bounce back in the 2021 draft. You know, when one of those guys is Joe Tryon, who I think is someone who is really going to miss out on not playing football this fall because he's one of those uh, underclassmen. He's a redshirt junior, 6'4", 255 pounds, terrific athlete, explosive pass rusher, a guy who can stand over tackle and come out of a three-point stance. I grade him as a fourth-round uh, selection, fourth-round prospect. I think he's one of those guys that can really, if he had really had a good season, moves into the second day of the draft and then uh, and enters the draft. Obviously, the season's not going to happen. We'll see what happens with uh, Tryon. You know, you, you mentioned Elijah Molden. Not really big, not really fast, but a real good football player. Sounds to me like Buda Baker. And <laughs> Buda Baker would just sign the contract to be the highest paid safety in the NFL after he was underdrafted as a second-day uh, prospect. Now, Molden's not Buda Baker, but he's not far behind. He is an outstanding player. He's a good run defender. He's got a great head for the ball in coverage. Uh, he's someone who I think would have to run really fast to get into the, the top half of the second day of the draft. When I say really fast, he's going to have to run a low five fives, high four fours. He's estimated right now to be a four five eight guy, though he plays much faster. I have him graded as a fourth rounder. Scouts have him anywhere from the fourth to the fifth round. But as you said, he is just an outstanding safety with a complete game and someone who I think is going to be underdrafted, but be a start at the next level. Uh, Their uh, defensive tackle, Levi, he's quick, he's explosive, he's also nasty. I, I mean, he is one of those slap you in the helmet type guys, works to finish off the opponent, works to finish off the play, good against the run, good change of direction, gets out in the space, make, makes plays, can also uh, rush the passer. You can use him at a defensive tackle. I think you can use him at defensive end in a two-gap system. He's got a high upside. I grade him as a third rounder. There are some scouts who think he can go in the second round. Just a real good defensive lineman. Now, Washington's Apple Cup rival, Washington State, one selection in April's draft, wide receiver Desmond Patman to the Colts in round six. One draftable senior on the board this year, and that's wide receiver Tay Martin. Should have a chance to improve on his 43-catch, 564-yard, four-touchdown line with the team's top three receivers all graduated. Patman included. Martin is a tall, thin receiver, grades out late on day three, a bit behind New Cooper's top prospect, who's actually the same top prospect as last year when we discussed him on the show, and that is now junior offensive tackle, Abraham Lucas, a typical right tackle, good size and strength, poor athleticism and agility, and a guy who really needs to take a step forward in 2020 if he ends up playing, and a guy that really does need to end up playing like so many that we've discussed here. Otherwise, He'll likely be forced back to school for his senior season and have to enter the 2022 NFL draft, which frankly just might be the best option for him overall. Yeah, absolutely. He did not progress last year the way I thought. In fact, I had a higher grade on him uh, coming off the 2019, the 2018 film than I did the 2019 film. Excellent size, excellent growth potential, shows some athleticism, but really needs to complete his game. Tay Martin, some scouts like him as early as the uh, fifth round. I have him as a sixth rounder. A guy who flashes, he's got to be a little bit more consistent. He's got some versatility to his game. Someone who could potentially make it as a fifth receiver at the next level. And that's it for the 150th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, 
Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with another episode for all of you. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Chirpoti, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.